culture of innovation is one where different parts of the organizations are having a good collaborative conversation to see how can we serve this customer better. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Janaki Kumar, who is a thought leader in design-led innovation in enterprises and she had delivered award-winning products and services that help businesses transform the way they work. Presently, she is head of design at commercial banks JP Morgan, Chase & Co and also the co-instructor at Consumer Experience Design at Stanford University. Previously, she worked as VP Chief Design Officer at SAP. Janaki was also named a Woman of Influence by Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2016 she's an active writer and speaker on innovation and design with more than 20 plus patents filed on her name as an inventor she's also the co-author of gamification at work designing engaging business software she's been a speaker at various occasions including TEDx and IXDA she has also guest lectured at Stanford East School Carnegie Mellon and San Jose State University in this episode Janaki had shared wonderful insights on crafting a culture of innovation in an organization she shared some insights on how to bootstrap the culture of innovation and what the role of a design leader to foster the culture and we also spoke on how to incorporate a culture where people focus on inventing new stuff or solving the actual problem rather than focusing on trends the later part we discussed on gamification models that will help nurture better innovative and productive minds we also spoke on the few techniques on implementation to understand success or failure of various modules that being a design leader one implement to set up for a betterment of the company and their peers hope you guys enjoy this episode and to celebrate the anniversary of notes of design podcast and also completing 50 episodes in this podcast this old month we'll be featuring different women design leaders across the design industry to help you better understand different topics related to design so don't forget to tune in to notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone hi janki welcome to notes of design it's pleasure hosting you today on our show Thank you for having me Tej. It's a, it's my pleasure to be here. So Janki, how's your day going? It's going really well. Um and yesterday was Thanksgiving in the US. So we had a a very nice Thanksgiving yesterday uh with my close family and um as you know the coronavirus is uh you know running rampant so we didn't have a big family gathering so we had a zoom gathering with my extended family um and we had a very nice dinner uh with our very close family thank you so much janki so if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there yeah my name is janki kumar and i lead the design for commercial bank at jp morgan chase and i uh, uh, prior to this i was the head of design and co-innovation center um at SAP where we were running uh, several strategic projects um my area of work is really using design to create a culture of innovation and to to create experiences that uh, truly delight our customers thank you so much janki so if you could tell us what was your journey into design and how did you start and what are the tips that you want to suggest to the beginners out there sure Yeah so when I I I've been in the area of design for many many years um even before uh the field of human computer uh, interaction was really a well known field and people could really aspire to be um a human comp- computer uh, interaction designer so i started actually with a masters in finance and i also have a degree in uh, computer science so what i did was um i worked in a company to install uh, some software and what i found what uh what most energized me is helping people 
use the technology, you know, customize the software so that it's really understandable for people, you know, creating dashboards that uh, give people instant access to the information that they need. And I could really see the delight on their faces when, you know, you truly understand what they're trying to achieve and you're able to help bring the technology to them in a way that makes sense to them. And, you know, people feel really smart and accomplished instead of technology making them feel really dumb and stupid. Instead, they feel very empowered uh, by the use of technology. So when I, I started to see that I had a knack for empathy for the user needs, as well as I understood technology and I also understood business, I, I, I started to say, wow, I would love to do more of this, you know. Um, and then when I, I, I came to Boston University and uh, I had some very good counselors who helped me get into the field of um, interaction design. So they helped me. I have another degree in information systems from Boston University. And from there, I, um, uh, you know, moved into the field of design. And this has been many years since. Um, and I've never looked back. Tips to beginners. Um, I think people, you know, the wonderful thing about design is that it is a multifaceted field, you know. Design is all around us. Um, you know, you may be uh, someone working in the medicine field, right? But you're still able to bring the lens of design to anything that you do. If you're looking at it from um, perspective, okay, how can I make this experience much better? Then you are a designer. So design doesn't just mean, you know, drawing great pictures or creating screens. It also means crafting experiences end-to-end -end that make the most sense to a human being. So the human centricity of um, a designer is really front and center. I think from a beginner, you know, start with your strengths, where whatever your uh, area is, and then start to understand the, the tools of design, whether it's, uh, you know, service design, which, is, which maps out the end-to-end -end journey, uh, whether it's interaction design that, um, that understands, you know, digital experiences, those you, you can build upon your strengths and, and then take it and add the layer of design. Um, and once you get started, you can go deeper um, there as well. Thank you so much, Jan. So let's begin our episode with crafting a culture of innovation. How do we bootstrap the culture of innovation in any organization and what roles a design leader plays to foster this culture? Yeah, I think the main thing is many large organizations, right, they are interested in design. Um, and I think that that is that is the first step, right? Many organizations are, uh, especially successful organizations, they have a built-in resistance to doing things differently. But as you know, the world is changing, right? There's new technology that's coming into play. Customer expectations are changing. New business models are changing. And then there may be some competitors who are doing certain things that are disrupting the market, right? So it's really important for large organizations to always uh, be introspective and understand what are they doing well? How can we serve our customers better? and have this, this mindset. Uh, but on the other hand, what happened, and that is essentially the culture of innovation. A culture of innovation is um, one where different parts of the organizations are, are, are having a good collaborative conversation to see how can we serve this customer better and having an iterative mindset. Where it comes into um, a, a little bit of a challenge is when the organizations, especially very successful organizations, are resistant to change. They say, okay, this is not how we do things. Uh, yeah, this is all great for some other startup, but you know what? We are too, you know, we're different. So then you as a leader, design leader, you have to uh, articulate the need for doing things in a different way. And I think the best way to go about it from my experience, having done this many years uh, with large organizations, is to, uh, again, approach it with empathy, 
for your stakeholders as well as your customers. So you kind of understand like, yes, I understand that it's difficult for you to change. You know, you have a hundred person organization doing everything a certain way. Tomorrow, you're not going to be able to just make them all work in a different way, right? So what you need to do is highlight the customer uh, needs, articulate that back to the uh, to your stakeholders to get them to fully understand what's changing. And then another, another way is to also, um, you know, have patience and take small steps. Like it's it's okay to identify some strategic areas and then move forward. So I'll give you a, a, a concrete example of how this um, uh, happened at uh, Design and Co-Innovation Center. So there was uh, a large company. Um, I won't mention the name, but it's it's a fairly large. Like they have food uh, services. I mean, food. They provide a lot of foods. You know, um, products. You know, if you go to the supermarket, you will see that they have ice cream. They have pizza. So lots of these products uh, that you see in the store shelf are uh, they provide and you know they are a very large global company they may, the headquarters is in Switzerland um, and they recently purchased a company um, in Los Angeles that had um, uh, that did pizza and ice cream and what they have is people who drive trucks to take this these products and uh, stock it in their sh- uh, store shelves. So what um, uh, they understood, I mean, since it was an acquisition, they wanted to understand, you know, what is the process like? How what kind of technology can we provide for these drivers to be more efficient in delivering these products? And how do we, you know, how can we do things uh, better? So th- that was a good thing. The starting point was they understood that they needed something different. So what we did from a human centered perspective is my, me and my team, uh, we actually drove. We did it right along with the drivers, you know, they start their journey um, uh, at like 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. They load their truck and they drive to, um, in the U.S., we have Safeways and Trader Joe's and other stores. So they go from store to store, stock the shelves, and they move on. And what when we started actually observing what the drivers do, it opened our eyes. Because it's not just that they go and drive and deliver, right? They're doing a, a ton of other things. So once they drive uh, to the store, they have to wait for the store manager, like the Safeway manager, to open the, the garage door, essentially the back uh, loading dock. They have to go in and then they go to the shelves. Sometimes the shelves are um, like icy. They clean the shelves. They make sure that the products are displayed in the right way. And also there is a lot of agreement between the, the company and the store to where it should be displayed. So you, sometimes a store sh- um, uh, owners pay extra to have um, the products displayed uh, very prominently. So on and so forth. So they are doing a lot of things. And some customers may ask, say, where is that hazelnut ice cream that I, I, I loved last week? Why isn't there? So the driver has to know what the shipping schedule is for this thing as well. So this driver is playing so many roles. So when we highlighted we, we told this whole story, day in the life of this driver, back to the uh, stakeholders. And we had a presentation where we had people drive in, I mean, fly in from multiple parts of the globe. And we did this presentation. It opened their eyes. And they started to have a very deep empathy for this driver. And they said, wow, this is not, this is a customer service representative. It's not just, he's not just driving a truck. He's really representing our company to this person. So how might we augment him with technology so that he does um, all of this? And then from that, once that mental click happened for our stakeholders, there's no stopping them. So we did, they started brainstorming ideas like, oh, maybe we can have weather related information. So they know if it's going to be a hot um, uh, week coming up, maybe they can have, you know, they can encourage the managers to have more, you know, the, the, their ideas started flowing. Then the pro- the project was just in a, an amazing uh, start, right? So I think that is the key to this creating a culture of innovation, creating deep empathy for the end users, but also having, approaching it with deep empathy 
for your stakeholders, knowing that they are, you know, they are smart in knowing what they do. So you have to, it is upon you as a designer to make that case. And, and yeah, and, and I think that is the, really the essence of the culture of innovation. Thank you so much, Janaki, for explaining us in such detail. So how to incorporate a culture where people focus on inventing new stuff are solving the actual problem rather than following trends? I mean, as I mentioned, I think it goes back to empathy as well. Um, you know, I think it's okay when, as part of our discovery research, we do look at trends. What are competitors doing? What are, you know, there, there are industry analysts who say, you know, the industry is going in this way and that way. And it's important for um, any organization pay attention to that. And, and and there's nothing wrong with it. But you can't just follow it blindly, okay? Because sometimes your company's situation and your customer needs may be different from what's really just out there. And I think that that is the key to innovation, like having a deeper understanding of what your customers need. That is like the raw material you need to build, you know, to, to have sustainable innovation. If you're just following trends, sure, you know, you may, you may look good for that one quarter or maybe like two quarters. But then after that, people are going to understand that this is just a gimmick. It's not long lasting. Um, and then uh, you're going to lose the respect of your own customers. So I, I think it's okay to pay attention to trends. But that's not the only aspect. The most important is your customer needs. Thank you so much, Janki. So how does gamification help in nurturing better innovative and productive minds in the workspace? Yeah, I think gamification, uh, you know, is really having um, a... Uh, and it's it's a mindset more than actual game mechanics, right? So imagine when there are lots of research that says within employees, how do you motivate employees? More employees are not just motivated, especially when you are an, um, an employee who is an information worker. You're not merely um, motivated by uh, your pay, right? Your, your salary is one aspect, but you're also interested in learning and growing and mastery and connections and um, and all these aspects and, and like feedback, all those things are even more motivating to you uh, when you get into that level of your career than you're just your paycheck, right? So essentially, when you're playing a game, you know, you know exactly what is the score that you have, which level that you're in, what do you need to do to get to the next level? And you have that sense of mastery. Sometimes in our workplaces, we don't have that sense of mastery. We are, we are like, I'm doing, I'm working as hard as I can, but I'm really not sure. Am I doing right? I'm not doing right. You know, I once a year, managers give you um, your reviews, uh, that's not enough, right? Like, so you, you as a human being are like looking for, uh, you know, your human beings are just learning organisms and we want to learn and we want to be encouraged. We want to have feedback. So basically gamification is just bringing that mindset to everything that we do. You know, I, th I think, um, yeah, I mean, and, uh, the, that's the essence of how uh, we look at gamification. You know, you know, first of all, as a, as a leader, if you want to think about that person, you have to be clear about your mission. So what is it? that you want your employees to do. So uh, let's imagine you want your employees to fill out their uh, their timesheets very accurately, right? And you, you're you trying to uh, tell them, oh, you, you can go about it in a punitive way um, and say, oh, this person didn't do it so bad, so bad. You know, you, you can do it in a punitive way, but you can also, and that is typically how we are all trained to work. Like if you feed, if you go uh, above a certain limit, you get a ticket. But, you know, 99% of the time you're going around the speed limit. Nobody's giving you any, any kind of recognition for the good things you do, right? Why don't we just flip the script and think about how do we recognize and encourage people who are doing the right thing 
And then guess what? People are going to do the right thing. So just shifting the focus from the negative to the positive. And then once you do that, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where all your employees want to do the right thing. And I, I think that is, and, and as an organization, you have to be clear on what is the right thing, right? You can't be wishy-washy about it. You have to say, you know what, this is really what we want to do. And then you encourage your employees, you give them feedback. And that's the magic that uh, that is needed to create an organization that's really, you know, like self-motivated and thriving. Thank you, Janaki. So any few techniques or met- that you would like to share with us in setting up a gamification at a workspace in both remote and normal scenarios? Yeah, I mean, as there are so many. It really depends on the technique. You know, this I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just um, apply a technique that is that one. You know, it, it really has to be contextual to what you're trying to do. I'll give you a, an example. When we all went to work remotely during uh, in March timeframe, everyone said work from home. And one of the things in our organization that we are very proud of is we have um, area where we you know we we connect socially. So every Wednesday we have lunch together. We share a little bit about it. We check in and we have all this hallway conversation. Creates the social bonds between the different departments. And then I think when we do projects together, we are much more likely to, you know, to work together even better because we have that that human bond that's that's been connected, right? So uh, when we went uh, remote, my um, my manager and I we were talking about it. And he said, you know, that is a danger, right? If, if we all just go remote and we don't we don't continue to nurture those social connections um it's going to become um you know everyone's going to get into a silo mindset and our culture will really break down very quickly so okay we don't want that what can we do so we said all right let's have check-ins and checkouts every day one of the things that i uh, instituted was question of the day so the question of the day could be what is your favorite restaurant or it could be as simple as, you know, um, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Or it can be, you know, if which uh, country would you like to visit the most? Or it can be anything, but it's a small little hint into your life. And what we do is in the, in the Zoom meeting, we go around it. And, and I would publish, you know, on our, on our channel, just like our, our, our internal chat channel. I would say, okay, the question of the day is such and such. And then everyone will, at the end of the day, when they check out, they would say that. And recently we had um, a little, um, uh, you know, feedback session. And everybody said that that question of the day has really changed. They said, we feel closer to each other now than we did before uh, before we went remotely. So I think that made me super happy because, you know, again, it's that intention, the mission. What is the mission? The mission is to make sure that the social bonds are not, you know, uh, degrading. And the second is what, how do we, you know, and then going into the mechanics and then constantly getting feedback. And you have to do it with a light touch. That's the thing with gamification. You can't just um, do it in a heavy hand. You also have to be open to feedback and kind of change and move and listen. Uh, it's a lot about feedback uh, for the person who's organizing this as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's a concrete example. As long as you have a mission, I think if you think deeply and introspect, you will come up with an idea. Thank you. So being in leadership role, how could you measure success or failure for various models that we implement? Be it innovative models or gamification or anything new that we set up for betterment of our company and our peers? I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, it's customers, right? You have to see, you, you have to get feedback from your customers. There are quantitative and qualitative metrics. Uh, you know, usually we work with transformation leaders and there is a certain business metric that they are trying to measure, you know, so they, they have a, a business goal. And we as uh, designers, we kind of work together with them and try to achieve the goal. So that's the quantitative metric 
the, the business is naturally measuring against. There is also the qualitative metric, which the business, um, I think designers can learn a lot from uh, looking at, you know, I think uh, getting testimonials from customers on what's working well, what's not working well. And, and I think those testimonials will, you know, not everything that is important can be measured. And that is important for as an innovation leader, very important to recognize that and make sure that we look at it through the lens of the human-centered aspect. Even for creating metrics in the organization, it has to be human-centered. And I think that lens is the superpower that all um, design, lead, design leaders need to develop. Thank you, Janaki. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like and any interesting stories that you would share with us? My day, you know, I think um, it's a lot of meetings. Um, I have, a, you know, a team in New York as well as in Palo Alto. So we, um, I, I want to have a constant communication with them. So I have a, a lot of meetings. You know, we also have usability sessions and whenever I can, I uh, look at that. Um, every morning at 7 a.m., we have a operating committee check-in to see how, how is the business going, what's the next release, how can we, uh, what's going well, what's not going well. So it's a pretty busy day. It's a packed day. Yeah, what, what stories? I think stories are more around, like what I mentioned, you know, the uh, the question of the day is usually very interesting for me. I look forward to like learning a little bit more about my team um, and then uh, we, we've had this other uh, feedback, one other idea Tuesday at the museum. So sometimes we share a, an art piece from a, a, from a, some museum and then we, everybody sort of uh, tries to say, what does that, what do they see? What can, wh- wh- how, and then it is fascinating for me to hear everyone's feedback. So I think at the end of the day, I just love to learn more about um, the people that I work with. And, uh, and, and, and that that's really what motivates me. Thank you, Janaki. So we'll conclude this show by you recommending us three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in the space. Absolutely. So um, I think for your viewers, if they have not read Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman, uh, I think that is a must read. I've read it multiple times in my career. Uh, initially, the first time I read it, it opened my eyes, you know, to the uh, affordance and uh, and really look at how design is all around us. And I've, I've read it a couple of times uh, after that as well. So that's just a must read. And then I think, you know, that are, uh, if you're interested in design thinking and you want to just get into what does that, what does it mean? Uh, this creative confidence uh, by um, David Kelly um, and his and his brother. It's, that's a, that's a really good book to understand. You know what is a creative confidence culture. So he talks about it's not innovations but innovators that matter, and you know you need to nurture yourself as an innovator. So I thought that was a powerful message. Um, and yeah, there are so many books. Another book that's very useful um, is Business Model Generation. It's a, it's a book that has as a designer you have to understand the business as well, and you have to use you have to get frameworks to help. Uh, navigate the multitude of requirements from a design perspective, from a, a business perspective, and create it to design outcomes. So that's a good handy reference book. So very high level to tactical. Uh, and uh, people who inspire me, I think uh, there are so many people who inspire me um, every day. Uh, and I think uh, the first one, I would say Don Norman. He is such a thought leader. He's created, he's contributed so much to our field. Even now, you know, he's 80 years old, but he's still working to improve uh, design education for everyone. And uh, he's been a mentor and uh, he's one person I admire a lot. The second person I would that comes to mind now is uh, Dieter Rams. So Dieter Rams, um, you know, he created the original Braun design. Pro- it's more around product design and uh, 
the simplicity of the UI and the minimalism, it, you see it manifesting even in the current day, uh, you know, the iPhones and so on. So it's it just his legacy is very long. So I, I admire him as well. And then the third I would reserve for all the young people out there. You know, I think I, I now uh, spend time with my employees and it, it's not just me telling them what to do. It's also learning from them. And I, I think the the young designers of the world who are moving and shaking and having a desire to have a social impact, all of you inspire me. So continue to do what you do. Thank you so much, Janaki, for your wonderful time. And we are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thank you, Tej. It's really a pleasure. 